0: and at a more affordable price, get ten percent off your first month at BetterHelp.com/adulting101. That's BetterHelp.com/adulting101.
1: If you're buying the middle home buying process and you switch jobs, that's going to throw up so many flags for underwriting. While you're buying a home, don't do anything financially, like no big changes at all. Just close on that home first.
0: Like buying a car, I know that's another one that you shouldn't do in the same same time as you're trying to buy a house yes
1: don't open up new lines of credit <laughs> right <laughs> yes
0: hello everyone welcome back to adulting 101 with Caspi bias i'm your host Caspi bias today we are talking all about how to buy a house buying a house can be exciting and scary <laughs> especially when you're first starting out and have no idea what you're doing. Before you start searching for a house, let these next couple of episodes be your guide and help you understand the ins and outs of home buying. Today on the show, I have with me Brendan Mitchum, a real estate agent located in Georgia. Brendan is a marine scientist turned real estate agent and investor, and he is a partial owner of nine mobile home parks in the Midwest. The two of us are going to walk you through everything that's involved in the process, such as finding a lender, getting approval, finding a realtor, searching for houses, and more. If you haven't already, check out the new Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias animated series. There, you can review a few captivating moments from each episode in animated form. Check out the show notes for a link to the series. Brendan, thank you for joining me today on Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias. Brandon, I just wanted to say thank you again for speaking with me today a little bit more about, I would say, a pretty big uh, adulting or adulthood-type topic. What would you say are some recommended ways that a young professional, or really anyone, can find the best lender and realtor for them?
1: Yeah, so I, I would say, really, anytime you're looking for... Most professionals in most spaces, the best way to go is referrals, if possible. You want to find someone within your network, someone you know, someone you trust. How much you trust them, not super important, but it's just good to find someone who's done what you're trying to do, has done it successfully, and figure out how they did it and who they did it with. Like at the end of the day, if someone was successful, someone did something well, you just copy what they did and you're going to get pretty similar results. You can just go online and like Google search lenders in my area or agents in my area. That's fine. Even bigger pockets has actually a pretty nifty feature, which you could use if you don't have referrals. I think this method is better than Google searching. It's more catered towards investors. So if you're kind of investor focused, but you're looking to buy your first home too, go to bigger pockets. They have a agent search program where you can just type in the city that you're in and it'll show you some top agents but really try to get that referral if you have a best friend that closed a house and you want something similar ask them who they used avoid google searching just because you're, you're simply going to get who's paid the most for ads it won't necessarily be like who's the best lender or who's the best agent for you
0: yes that's good to know i actually was one person who actually went ahead and Looked everything up on Google. Is in the beginning I didn't really know how to get started, and that's actually how I heard about Bigger Pockets. Which I know we keep bringing up the word Bigger Pockets, but Bigger Pockets is a very helpful resource as far as learning more about financial independence, learning more about investing through real estate, how to buy your first property, single-family homes, multifamily properties, etc. Yes, I just to go back to what I was discussing previously, I, I did go through Google search and I typed in the best realtors within the area. As far as lenders, I actually didn't do that until after I found a realtor and she provided me a list of different types of lenders within the area. After I heard more about bigger pockets, I and I actually heard about bigger pockets through a book that I read. Not too long ago. I believe it's called House Hacking Strategy. Yeah, Craig, um, Craig Harlop's book. I forget the exact title.
1: Yeah, it's called The House Hacking Strategy. I read that one too. It's a good
0: one. He outlined every step as far as not only looking for how to buy a house, but also how to bring in tenants and build wealth that way. So that was very much helpful. But he outlined like a list of questions as well that once you find a particular realtor or lender. He basically outlines what different types of questions you can ask them as well, just to figure out who exactly is the best lender or who would be the best realtor for you. Definitely agree with Brendan though, (laughs) as far as referrals, if I had to go back, I would definitely would have included that within my processes as well.
1: The agent lender referral is great too. And in my opinion, you really only need a fantastic agent. For most people, most lenders are going to provide pretty much the same product. It's just going to be a matter of who jives well with you and who picks up the phone when you need them to, right? That's why I always recommend don't go like mortgage or some other big financial institution where you can just quickly get pre-qualified online. Try to go with someone who your realtor recommends. It just makes the whole process a lot smoother if you're using someone that the realtor already knows.
0: And pre-approval is definitely important just so that once you get everything pre-approved, your realtor can go to the seller and he or she can actually have that evidence to give to the seller like, oh, hey, the buyer or the young professional, they're actually serious about moving forward with this. They have the funds to, to move forward. Brendan, would you be able to explain to us a little bit more about the different types of loans that young professionals can qualify for in order to buy a house?
1: This is one of those things where it's going to be very dependent on the person and the property location really at the end of the day, like your lender is going to be the expert on this information and their responsibility is to find you the best loan for you for the certain type of property you're looking for. But it absolutely doesn't hurt. In fact, it certainly helps to have an idea of the different loan products so that you can come to the conversation with some information, some education, and kind of know the terminology too, right? For most folks, it's going to be either conventional or FHA loan. Without getting into the weeds too much, conventional FHA, they're pretty similar. Their main difference is in the terms and the type of properties that you can get with them. FHA is always going to be specific to owner occupants. It's someone who is gonna actually live in the property while they have that loan. Now there's minimum requirements. You only have to be in the property for a year and then you can move out or like you get a job somewhere and you have to move out. They're not gonna take your house away. But when you move into the home, when you buy the home with the FHA loan, the lender has an expectation that you're gonna live in that home. Conventional is a little bit different you don't necessarily have to live in the home to get a conventional loan, but in order to get really anything below like 15, 20% down payment, you have to be an owner occupant. So, both loan types, you can get as low as 3% for conventional, 3.5% down for FHA. And now, certain lenders even will have like special programs where they'll cover that 3% down payment. So, really, it's effectively zero down but that's going to come with higher closing costs. It's going to come with higher monthly payments, that sort of thing. But FHA conventional, pretty similar. You're going to have to go with one or the other. Most likely if you're buying a single family home, it'll be conventional loan. Whereas FHA, it'll most likely be multifamily because nine times out of 10, the conventional loan is better for a single family home. You're going to get better terms, better rates. Whereas with the multifamily home, you can't get low down conventional. So you will want to get FHA if you plan on getting that low 3.5% down. So those are the the two main types of loans. There's a bunch of other different types. So really, your job is to take your profession, figure out like what different loan products are available to you, and then lean on your lender to really find that perfect loan product. If you're um, self-employed, like myself, You actually don't really have many options at all when it comes to owner-occupied loans unless you have two years of income evidence. Uh, So that's another thing to keep in mind that if you are self-employed, it's much more difficult to get these traditional loans.
0: Oh, wow. So how did you just follow up question with that? How did you um, end up getting through that? What type of change happened when it came to the loans that you were able to qualify for since you are self-employed?
1: Yeah, so you can qualify for all the same loans as a W-2 employer, as an employee, as long as you have two years of income. If you don't have that two years of income, you're going to have to find someone to co-sign for you. So maybe your mom will co-sign, whatever the case is, and they're going to be like the income. In those situations, you can still come up with a down payment. If you have your mom co-sign with you, your dad co-sign with you, they don't have to bring all the money. Like You can still be financially responsible for that property. But my advice is if you are W-2 right now and you're like thinking about going self-employed or whatever, but you're also thinking about buying a home in the near future, buy the home first while you're W-2 or just plan on having a co-signer.
0: I also want to add on to that if you're planning on buying a house and you are thinking about just switching to a different job in general, consider buying the house first. If you're within the same field, or if it's a similar job, that may be an exception, but definitely do your research before actually even considering that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Talk to your lender. Chances are you'll be fine as long as you can get a letter from the next employer saying like you're going to be employed as long as there's not a big gap. In employment too, or as long as you're not smack in the middle of the home buying process. If you're buying the middle home buying process and you switch jobs, that's going to throw up so many flags for underwriting. While you're buying a home, don't do anything financially, like no big changes at all. Just close on that home first.
0: Like buying a car. I know that's another one that you shouldn't do in the same, same time as you're trying to buy a house. Yes.
1: Don't open up new lines of credit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever just little tip, don't ever close a credit card. Just leave some little monthly subscription on that credit card. Keep it going forever because credit history is like a little sliver of your credit score. And If you take away that credit card that you've had since you were 16, your credit history goes from a decade to five years pretty quick.
0: All right. Well, this moves on to our next step within the housing process, which is actually searching for a house. So congratulations you found a lender or and a realtor and so now you're at the point of actually looking for a house so you would go on to particular sites zillow redfin when you're looking for a house what would you recommend would be reasons good reasons to buy a house versus not so good reasons to buy a house like oh this house is pretty i want to buy it (laughs) um What would you say are some good versus not so good reasons to actually invest in a house or a property?
1: Yeah, so I am definitely biased. I am an investor first. I would never purchase a property that's not an investment. So if you're purchasing a home just strictly to live in and you're not thinking about appreciation, you're just thinking about like, this is a nice home. This is great for my family, what have you. That might be fine.
0: And when you say appreciating, would you be able to define what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, just the home value going up, right? So appreciation value goes up, depreciation value goes down. But if you purchase as an investment where you're either adding value to the property, so you're going to move in, you're going to live in it, but then you're also going to fix it up. Maybe you're going to add an addition, you're going to finish the basement. That's called forced appreciation. You are actually forcing value into the home. And then let's say you plan to move out in five years after you force a bunch of appreciation. That could be a great investment. Another option is you could do that, move out, refinance the home, and start renting it out. That's also an investment as long as you are making a return on your capital. That's the capital to purchase the home and to fix the home up. Another option is house hacking, which is what I do. There's a lot of restrictions in certain counties, so you just want to like make sure you're following those. But generally speaking, if you move into something with multiple units, you live in one, you rent out the other or others, you're house hacking, and you could cover your mortgage payments. That's an investment in my book. You can also do it with a single-family home where you live in a bedroom and you rent out the other bedrooms. It's like co-living, house hacking. That's also an investment.
0: With the amount of maintenance, it definitely brings down uh, overall income that may be coming in. Whereas with house hacking, actually bringing in people to further help that process by them paying rent each month, that'll help you as far as just fixing up those additional things that are broken around the house or save money as far as the future or towards some sort of cost give or take. When you're looking for a house, so you, of course, you have to consider the, the overall basics, like how many Rooms you want to um, have within the house, how many bathrooms paying attention to what year that the house was built is important. I know that for older houses, a lot more renovations or fixes definitely pop up here and there, so that's definitely something to note one of the main things though that I know I was looking for was paying attention to your overall budget when looking for a house in the beginning I was pre- or pre-approved for a certain amount from the lender. But just a note to everybody, just because a lender says you are pre-approved for a certain amount does not mean like, oh, I'm going to basically spend all of that on a property. Definitely, if your budget doesn't work with that, just because they say you can work with that doesn't mean that you should full on throw all your money to toward that amount. Some uh, lender says, oh, hey, yes, you're pre-approved for um, $300,000. And you say, oh, awesome. So I'm going to look for properties that are $300,000. You definitely don't have to do that. You can go lower as far as just finding different types of properties and what works best for you and what you're most comfortable with as far as your budget.
1: You're totally right. Like you're going to have to figure out your home search criteria. That's really important. It's not something the agent's going to do for you. It's something that you sort of need to figure out on your own, so that you can give them an idea of what they're looking, what you're looking for.
0: Another thing that definitely popped up for me was the uh, looking for houses that didn't have an HOA. Brandon, would you be able to explain what an HOA is and what the pros and cons of having an HOA is?
1: So an HOA, Homeowners Association, uh, it's an association, really like a corporation that can set rules, assess fees for rule breakers. That's what HOAs do in these nicer single family home, town home communities, um, or maybe not so nice. Typically, when they're not so nice, the HOA has been dissolved, though. So the nicer communities have HOAs. There are definitely pros and cons to it. It can be ideal for someone who really wants like a certain image in their community. They really want their community to look like something. They want someone that has their back. You can't just go to your neighbor, knock on their door and be like, hey, you need to clean up your yard. You need to...
0: Clean your yard. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you you can't just tell them to do it. But your HOA can and they can find them if they don't do it. So it really just depends on you. Now, it can be a con if you... Expect to rent out your property and you want to be a rental property, but the HOA doesn't allow rentals and nobody in your community wants there to be rentals. You're out of luck. You're going to have to sell that house if you want a rental property. Or if just the costs of maintaining amenities, which is definitely happening right now, if the costs are going up, the HOA fees are going to go up and you do not have control over that. So it's a big factor into calculations that you actually cannot control. So it's just something to keep in mind.
0: And for our listeners, I know there's a bunch of vocabulary going out here and there as far as like due diligence, closing costs, and we'll definitely get to those terms in just a bit. But um, I definitely agree as far as HOA, you definitely have to be careful. The fees will definitely go up, but you also have to think about, okay, so if I don't want an HOA, if I don't want a property that doesn't have HOA, where somebody's, A group is not necessarily maintaining the neighborhood. I have to keep in mind that the neighborhood might not look as nice. So we went over getting started, lender, approval, realtor. We went over the pre-approval process. We went over searching for a house. The next step is actually looking at a house in person. But before we actually, first and foremost, even drive to that particular property, Brendan, What are, what will be some things that you would suggest young professionals actually look into before actually driving to the property to make sure it's worth their visit? Hello, everyone. Did you enjoy today's conversation? Stay tuned for part two, starting next week. Talk to you all soon. I'd like to hear from you all as we continue with season three. What do you want to chat about? What do you want me to bring onto the show? Feel free to reach out at caspielbias at com. Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias is a production of C-Bias Productions, LLC. For more episodes of Adulting 101 with Caspi Bias, visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.